From the Nada Foodie Studios in beautiful Greenpoint, Brooklyn, it's the Nada Foodie Radio Show on 620 AM Radio Rampa. Mike, that's a mouthful, Mike. A lot. It's a lot <laughs> of words to say. I'm Tom Mialli, and with me as always is... It's Mike Maranti. Mike. So, Mike, as we start off every show, I've got, um, I've got some, some food news items that I'd like to talk about. I also have food news items. All right, who wants to go first? You can go first. All right. So I have, I, I had, I was all set to talk about one thing, and then I just got a tweet from a friend of mine. We. We got a tweet um, from our friend Mike Ratty, at Hey Ratty, H-E-Y-R-A-T-T-Y, who is a food-loving person from Boston, and he tweeted me an article that was, I mean, it, it hits me at the core of my being. It is... New York City's top restaurants could suffer due to pork drought. And it's a New York Post article. Describing a shortage of pork as a drought is perfect, though. (laughs) It it really, it's a nightmare for me. I mean, the the logo of the Not A Foodie Show is a pig. I am am not hiding my love for pork and pork products. Everyone who knows me knows that I am like smoked hams, pulled pork, Roast pork, any kind of pork in the world, bacon, of course. So this really, really hits me. I mean, so this is the story is uh, a, there's a legendary smokehouse in Virginia that makes smoked pork, and they supply um, Momofuku Samvar, and they supply, I believe they supply Eleven Madison EMP, Park. Yeah. yeah, and they they had a fire three years ago, and. Since their fire, they've, um, they're trying to get financing to open back up. They've opened in various little temporary locations, but they still don't have the money to open up a, a new permanent location. And I believe this week or last week, they, um, there was a court hearing that says that they're not getting the insurance money that they thought they were going to be getting. David Cheng should just invest in them. Well, the end of this article says Jeff Bezos should, you know, should invest in them. Because uh, because he whenever anyone needs money they just look at him because you know he's a billionaire that you know gives Has too much gives nothing he doesn't care um, um, so anyway I'm I am very I'm going to be following this story we in the in the Not a Foodie newsroom we're monitoring the situation we will be following this story there will be follow up articles and tweets and I I mean I think we might have we'll to be open up weekly. We might have to open up a newsroom just for this. Just a, 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 we should call it a command center. The situation room. The Not A Foodie situation room. War room. Will be, will be opened up shortly to keep you apprised of the pork drought, the impending pork drought of 2019. I also have pork news. Yay, it's a pork-centric news <laughs> segment. Uh, Tony Luke's in Philly. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. So Philly's known for like Wait, the Philly you like my, That was my Kool-Aid guy, man impersonation, <laughs> by the way. I don't know where that came from. Go ahead. So, but uh, Tony Luke's doesn't do the Philly cheesesteak. They do the roast pork sandwich with the yes. broccoli rob. Which is, in my opinion, uh, if you have to choose between the two, you go with the pork with the broccoli rob. I mean, the cheesesteak cheese is awesome. I love a good Philly cheesesteak, but the Tony Luke's pork sandwich is one of the best sandwiches in Philly. Yeah. They have a couple of Philly outposts and Pennsylvania outposts. Mm-hmm. But they're uh, coming up the Turnpike, and they're opening up seven locations in New York City. Um, I, I love it. One in each borough, mm-hmm. one in Yonkers, and one in Long Island. I am. Um, I I I can't say that I welcome Philadelphia things into New York as a Philadelphia as a New York sports fan. You know, I it's hard for me to be welcoming for anything Philadelphia into the New York area. But I know a lot of very um, nice people from Philadelphia, and I know a lot of nice sandwiches <laughs> that were invented in Philadelphia. Yeah, uh, so right now they only have the Brooklyn location set. Uh, set. It's going to be downtown Brooklyn on Flatbush Avenue. Okay. And then the other six, I guess they're still figuring it out. But the plan is to open up seven. I And I read somewhere that, um, I, I saw this article, and I read somewhere that uh, they were focusing on Queens. So, well, there's going to be one in Queens. Yeah, there's but, one but, in they, Queens. but they were going to focus on on more, and they they thought that Queens was going to be sort of like their opening gambit. They were going to really try to heavily promote in Queens, which I thought was pretty interesting. I wonder if there's more Shake Shacks in Queens than Brooklyn. I have no idea. There might be. What does that have to do with the price of a Tony Luke's? Uh... Well, same idea. Yeah. When there's... you open places like that, you want to be where it's hot. Gotcha. Gotcha. I have one more food news story mm-hmm. this week. I have. Um, I was reading an article about uh, imitation meats, lab-grown like Beyond meats. Burgers? Okay. Beyond Burgers, Impossible Foods, things like that, and how there are a bunch of um, a bunch of cattle ranchers and farmers in the Midwest that are trying to get the word meat banned from marketing materials or anything for these impossible, you know, the impossible meat, and you know, they don't want meat involved at all. And what I found interesting, I was like, okay, I guess I get it. They don't want to be considered, you know, their product to be confused with somebody else's. They Even if it says imitation in front of it or lab grown or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, but, you know, I thought it was sort of silly. But then I thought what was really interesting is the quote that they don't want to go down the same path that American dairy farmers have gone down with, with milk. Soy milk and almond milk. Soy milk and, and almond non-dairy milk. Non-dairy milk. Yes, non-dairy. Because that's not milk. Um. You can't milk an almond. Coconut yogurt, c- yogurt. Uh-huh. It's not. It can't be called coconut yogurt because it's technically not yogurt. Really? Yeah, because it's not made from milk. Because it's not made from milk. It's made from yeah. So, it, but it's coconut milk is not milk. Coconut yeah. milk is just water. Right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I mean, they were really like, they were completely against using the term meat, and because they didn't want to get dairy farmed, and they, apparently all of their da- dairy farmer friends are um, just regretting that they weren't more aggressive 10 years ago when the almond milk phase just started, you know, coming in. So anyway, um, that was my other news story. We have a great show We today. do. Really we're, good one. We're going to get real foodie-ish. We're going to talk about bitters. We're going to talk about fermenting peppers and making hot sauce. Then we have a really, really great guest on today, Andrea Strong. Uh, she's going to stop by and talk to us about... Uh, about school, New York school City food. school yeah. lunches and food food nutrition and just food advocacy in general. Um, 
it's it's a really great show. It's one of those really geeky shows that I love, and we'll be back in a minute. This is the Not A Foodie Show on Radio Rampa, 6.20 a.m. Are you a bar owner or thinking about becoming one? Whether you need a new cocktail list or an entire staff train, the experts at Express and Discard can help. Email today for a free consultation. Consult at expressdiscard.com. Everyone deserves an expert in their corner. If you are listening to this broadcast, chances are you've toyed around with the idea of launching your own creative recording project or podcast. If so, BK Media Center is the perfect media facility for your needs. Whether you're a group of friends looking for a soundproof facility to record a podcast or a more dynamic project with live streaming up to nine cameras, the staff at BK Media Center can cater to your needs and, more importantly, to your budget, also providing flexible studio schedule. Visit the website at bkmediacenter.com or call 917-300-9123 to set up a studio tour. We are back with the Not A Foodie Show on 620 AM Radio Rampa. Mike! Hey, what's up? I think we got some viewer mail. Listener mail? Listen, there's no one viewing their no. radio, right? Listener mail, Listener yeah. mail. So what do we got today? Um, so well, we got- first of all, before we even talk about what we got today, how do you get in touch with us? DM us. Slide into our DMs. And what is our address? At Not A Foodie Show. Or my personal one is at Mike Moranti, and yours is at Team Miale. Yes. So Instagram, Twitter, however you want to get in touch with us, get in touch with us because we love to answer listener mail. So what do we got today, Mike? Bitters. Yes, I love bitters. Yeah. What about them? How do I make my own bitters? Can you recommend some recipes? Oh. Okay. So I, you know me. I'm a DIY guy. Like I, I will geek out about making bitters as long as the day is, you know, like I'll, I'll keep going and going and going about making bitters and different permutations and combinations of bitters. But since you are the cocktail wine sort of guy, front of house guy, mm-hmm. explain what bitters are. What are some of your favorite cocktails with right. bitters? So from what I've understood is the history of bitters is like back in the day when water wasn't like good to drink. Okay. Um, they've make bitters that, you know, like alcohol was good because they, it killed yeah, whatever. bacteria can't grow in <laughs> alcohol. Um, so they would make bitters and put a few dashes of bitters in the water to hopefully kill the bacteria and so it wouldn't smell like, like disgusting, disgusting water. Disgusting water. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so bitters are you take Everclear or you take another <laughs> super, super high ABV uh, clear liquor, grain alcohol, yes. and you let things soak in them. Yeah, it's basically you're you're taking something a distilled spirit that might have no flavor, might have some flavor, depending on what you what you want mm-hmm. your bitters to take taste like, and then you are putting a number of different flavor profiles in your bitter. So it's kind of like making gin, but not. Uh, yeah, I mean, gin is a lower ABV, but bitters are very high in alcohol. Yeah, you know, so you put a couple, and they're very intensely flavored. So you put a couple of drops in a cocktail and. And that's enough, like have, one or two dashes, and that's it. Have you ever made bitters with an ISI canister? Uh, no, I haven't. I mean, that's a uh, I I know how to Just do it. Just because you're a nerd, yes. I, I so I, I'll talk about that when we talk yeah. about you know making bitters. But what are like what are some famous bitters? Uh, Angostura is the if someone just says bitters, it's Angostura bitters. Yes. Like just it is. 
Angus Aura bitters, and then um, Peychaud's. Peychaud's. And then I'd say Orange is a very distant thing. Yeah, Peychaud's is uh, New Orleans. Sometimes it, Peychaud's is a trademarked name, so sometimes you see it as Creole bitters. Um, and th- those go in one of my favorite cocktails is the Sazerac, and that's very bitters heavy. I think the sa- well, the Sazerac uses two types of bitters. It uses Angostura oh, it and Peychaud's. Oh, I didn't realize that. And um, It's my favorite cocktail, I, and I, I didn't think realize it, it uses two. the only drink that should use two bitters. I Why? Think, because of just competing flavor profiles? Yeah, just, it, bitters aren't supposed to make a drink. They're supposed to, like, enhance a drink. Mm-hmm. So, like, an old-fashioned without bitters is, like, not as good. But, like, you're not drink. You're not putting a bunch of bitters in the old-fashioned. It's, like, to elevate it, not to—it right. uh, it can't make something. Yeah, no, it, it definitely gives it depth. Mm-hmm. Um, you have, you know, flavors that linger on in your mouth a little bit longer um, when you add a dash of bitters here and there. Um, I, I personally, I, you know me, I'm a DIY guy. I geek out over bitters and anything that I can make myself. And I've made a number of types of bitters over the years. One thing that I have not done is I have not made my own Angostura or Peshad bitters. No reason to. They're done. And it's a secret recipe. There's, you know, it's 11 like making, herbs and spices in each one of them. It's like making it. your own ketchup. Just go and buy a bottle of Just Heinz. go buy it, yes. It's been done for hundreds of years to perfection mm-hmm. by these companies. Do you remember the great Angostura bitters shortage of 2015, maybe? No. Yeah. What? Yeah, there was like a... And I was, cocktails, you I were, was you able to drink at yeah, that yeah, time, yeah. yeah. Cocktails were, were, the cocktail culture had just exploded. And for, I guess for probably years, maybe three or four years, the cocktail culture had just exploded. And bitters were just, they were in short supply. You couldn't get them anywhere. And Angostura were the ones that, like, I remember us hoarding supplies. We were long on Angostura bitters in our house. That's so funny to me. Imagine this these bitter companies, they know, like, for the last 50 years, they've had to make, like, this many <laughs> yeah. cases. And then it's just like, oh, no, that's not enough anymore. Yeah, we make 100,000 cases. Now we need 200,000 all of a sudden. It's a great problem to have, but it's also, like, what? <laughs> uh, but I, I do make my own bitters. I don't make the traditional bitters. I make uh, – I try to find a bunch of different flavor profiles. Um, so what I have done in the past, depending on the flavor that I'm going for, is I'll use either – like Everclear, which mm-hmm. is a, a high alcohol spirit that really has no taste. It's grain alcohol. And, or I'll use a really high ABV bourbon. Um, you make bourbon bitters. That's I've made, cool. um, I made a bourbon cherry walnut bitter. We're using dried cherries, using like um, a bunch of different spices and walnuts. And uh, basically you let it all sit and marinate for weeks and like a uh, month, right? yeah, for like a month in in a dark place, and you do just strain it out at various times. Add more spices, less spices. You can add a little bit of sugar if you want, or you know, you just sort of add spices as you go. Um, you can look it up on the internet how to make bitters. It's it's really interesting. But those were those are probably my tastiest, and those go really well with Manhattan's old fashioned. That's like made for Manhattan. It, yeah, it's perfect for a Manhattan. Um, but then. Oh, using Everclear, where I don't want like a bourbony taste, I've made cardamom bitters, which go really well in um, like wintery cocktails. Um, Cardamom's not cheap either. No, it's I, not. I, 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 I we have uh, my, my family. My wife's family is Norwegian, and by some weird, you know, trade routes in the 1700s, 1600s, whatever it was, their cardamom is a big flavor from Norwegian cuisine. 
So we've always got cardamom pods, but we buy them from like the Indian spice store. So Aquavi is like those types of spices in gin instead of botanicals. Right, right, right. Um, But Uh, we, so I've made cardamom bitters. I've made saffron bitters. I made a cardamom saffron bitter, which was really good. Look at Tom just making $100 bottles of bitters. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And I still have them. I made them years ago, but I keep them in tiny little vials that are, you know, that are in my liquor cabinet. They're ready for mixture. And that's the best thing about bitters is a little goes a very long way. Yeah. I mean, I, I bought from Amazon a few years ago little eyedroppers, like a case of little eyedroppers and... Like little glass bottles that have little eyedropper tops, pipettes. Is that what they are? Yeah. And I just take, I look like a mad scientist when I'm making cocktails. Or to be fair, when my wife is making cocktails, I make the bitters. She makes the cocktails with the bitters. Um, Another thing that I've done one year from my CSA, I got a bunch of these little Italian plums. Ooh. And... I there there's like a really big pit in them. They were like really hard to um, to use in cooking. So we used as many as we can. And then they were starting to get a little soft. So I made bitters out of them. I made like a plum spiced bitters that were perfect for like holiday did drinks. Did you have to dry them out or did you just cut them no. up and throw them in the, I guess the booze like preserves them, yeah, right? Yeah. Did cut you them eat out them afterwards? I did not eat them afterwards. Oh, they were, I tried. Nice buzz. I tried, but they were like way too, it was a, it was an Everclear yeah. based bitter and you took a bite of plum and it just burned your tongue and made you breathe fire. So that was it. But thanks for the question. That was a, that's a good question. I think more people should go out and, and make bitters. I think yeah. bitters are, it's an easy project that, you know, goes a long way. Um, I've seen on the market is grapefruit hop bitters. Oh. And that's, so you could go buy hops online, hop pellets or whatever, and yeah. cut up some grapefruit. And I, that sounds like perfect. <laughs> you know what I, what I do actually? I, the, um, the saffron vanilla bitters that I make. I, I'll take a couple of drops and just put it in some club soda. And mm-hmm. you've got like this, you know, it's almost like a flavored seltzer that has, you know, pretty much no alcohol in it because a couple of drops go a long way. Yeah. And that's just a refreshing little drink. doesn't have to be in a cocktail. And if your stomach's upset, uh, bitters and soda is like... It, that's what they say. Yeah. Lifestyle. It, well, no. Every restaurant I've worked at, if I'm not feeling well, just bitters and soda. Bitters and, and soda? Just, yeah, put it to the side and you feel I better. Think I have an idea for a for a segment, which is... Hangover cures from the food industry. <laughs> no, it, it's not even for a hangover. It's just like literally I, I need – my stomach's a little upset. Bitters and soda, sip on it, and you feel good. Nice. And it's a lot less sugar than ginger ale. So there you go. You can get your buzz on, make a cocktail with it, and make you feel better. It's a cure-all. <laughs> a pe- pen, panacea? Sure. Why not? <laughs> Thanks for the question. Uh, who, who sent that in? Do we know? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for the question. DM us your questions at Not A Foodie Show on Twitter and on Instagram. We want to hear from you. And you're listening to the Not A Foodie Show on Radio Rampa, 620 AM. We will be back in a minute. Hey, everyone. It's Tom from the Not A Foodie Show. Are you a small business looking to advertise to a food and restaurant-loving audience? The Not A Foodie Radio Show has advertising opportunities available that fit a range of budgets. For a free consultation or for more information, email info at notafoodie.com. That's info at notafoodie.com.
Are you a bar owner or thinking about becoming one? Whether you need a new cocktail list or an entire staff trade, the experts at Express and Discard can help. Email today for a free consultation. Consult at expressdiscard.com. Everyone deserves an expert in their corner. And we're back. Thanks for tuning in. 620 AM Radio Rampa. It's the Not A Foodie Show. As always, I'm Mike. Hey, I'm Tom. So, Tom, I saw on Instagram what you had cooking up. Very green. Uh, (laughs) Somebody commented and said, what did you do to Shrek? I said I did nothing to Shrek. It was Kermit. (laughs) Whenever I make a green smoothie, I always make that same stupid dad joke. Like, there's Kermit. (laughs) So what I did make was, um, I think what you're referring to is my um, green fermented sriracha, homemade sriracha. So... How do you make a fermented sriracha? Uh, well, it's fermenting anything is just uh, letting it sit, letting the good bacteria sort of take over. Yeast? Um, it depends what's what it is. There's a, you know a lot of bacteria in the air. Some of it is yeast. Um, so fermented foods are just are uh, everywhere. I mean, people eat fermented foods all the time. Wait, are you fermenting this like how they used to make wine in like the ancient times, where they were just like, oh, the gods must just be turning this in, and it's just like <laughs> all the I All the bacteria say, in the air. You're not adding anything. To no, it. I don't add to it. Okay. No, no, I don't add to it. I just sort of let it go. Um, you let you let nature take its course. You let all the little bacteria, the good bacteria that are already on the pepper. So I, this is this one was a a pound of fresh fresh jalapenos and just chopped them up with maybe I don't know eight or nine cloves of garlic. Uh, chopped it all up in a food processor and then let it sit in a mason jar for a couple of weeks till it gets nice and uh, bubbly. You know? So fermented foods are, are, I mean, yogurt is a fermented food. Like yogurt is, goes through that same sort of process. You take dairy, you let the good bacteria eat away at it, and it creates that tangy flavor. Um, I'm doing the same thing essentially for a hot sauce. Um, and I've, I've done a bunch of them before. I think probably my most successful ferments have been jalapeno ferments where I just chop up jalapenos into little rings and instead of pickling them like you would get at a restaurant, uh, like a Mexican restaurant, I make them, you know, I ferment them and they become these tangy, really crispy little jalapenos. So I I love doing ferments. Ferments are awesome. So you just, you have the jalapeno, you cut it up, you put it in a mason jar and that's it. it in your fridge. That not even no, not in the fridge. If you put it in the fridge, it stops the it slows down the process. So what you want to have happen is you want there to be enough good bacteria that are really working and producing um, they're eating away at the food and they're eating away at you know, like you would make wine. When you're making wine, you're fermenting and the sugars are being fermented by the bacterias. Yeast is what is introduced mm-hmm. to wine to to turn the sugars into alcohol. So that's the same sort of process. So it's it's some sort of bacteria or yeast that are feeding on the natural sugars in foods. So when you're doing um, like the hot sauce, I put it in a food processor with the garlic. I chop it all up, put it in a very, very clean mason jar. and Sterile. It's very sterile. Yes, yeah, sterile mason jar. But you got to make sure that it's sterile because you don't want to introduce any bad bacteria into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you put it in the mason jar, you seal the mason jar. I have these fermentation lids, which are lids that lets the carbon dioxide escape out through the top and doesn't let anything in. 
But you can put a regular top on. It's just you have to what they call burp it because gas will try to explode or try to escape and it could explode if you don't burp it. <laughs> Burping is just every couple of days you'll see the bubbles start coming up and every couple of days just loosening the top enough so that gas can escape through the top. You should probably just go on Amazon and buy those fermentation lids. They're so easy and I mean they're <laughs> so cheap and you just screw them on and you forget about it. But I like I have these in my closet. They I keep them right in my my cupboard and I let the fermentation sort of let nature take its course and in probably 10 days to 2 weeks uh the the hot sauce the peppers and everything will be nice and ready they'll be tangy they'll be delicious they might not look as green maybe they'll look a little bit you know brown like you see yeah, with it is like a right yeah it's like, bright green right now um but you know that's that's the base for my hot sauce right now and then what I'll do is I'll Eventually, in two weeks, I'll taste it, see how it tastes, and I'll add maybe some sugar to it. Sriracha has uh, some sugar in it. Um, basically, what you're doing is you're making what they call a mash. Uh, it, it's a term that you use for whiskey for whiskey or for fermenting anything, beer, anything like that. You're creating mm-hmm. this, this base where you can add things to it to give it you know, greater profiles like later on. But have you ever fermented anything? No. I, even, I was gifted a Mr. Beer kit, and I just own it. <laughs> it's just sitting in the corner, sit, it's not on, fermenting. It's on top of my cupboard. So like I can reach it. My roommate's very short. She can't reach anything. So I have that whole space just for myself. And um, it just lives there. If anyone wants to buy a Mr. Beer kit. Uh, <laughs> An bucks. unused Mr. Beer kit. Unused. Just I opened it. I looked what was inside of it. 50 bucks. Come to my house one weekend and we'll we'll make beer. Okay, we'll done. make not a foodie okay. brand beer. <laughs> okay, done. <laughs> Slap some labels I, on it. We'll sell it online or we'll bootleg out of my garage. That's what we'll do. <laughs> but fermentation is is really awesome and really easy. People get uh, people get scared by it because you're talking about bacteria and health and you're leaving food out to essentially rot. Um, but you're rotting it in a controlled way. But, like, that's what wine is, right? Like, wine is just rotted fruit that you're straining out. My buddy's a very serious home brewer, and uh, his first uh, set of home brewing equipment got wrecked by bad bacteria, and he had to dump everything and get new stuff. Yeah. There's a brewery in Michigan, Jolly Pumpkin. They've made, they were just a regular brewery, then they made a sour beer, mm-hmm. which is made with a uh, lacto. It's it's lactofermented. Lacto, it's no, lactose. Lacto lactobalsilic acid, I think, uh, something yeah. like that. And um, what happened was it uh, ruined all their brewing equipment. And this was uh this isn't like a little homebrew. This is like a you know yeah tens like of a commercial brewery. Yeah. So they're like, oh, okay, I guess we're a sour brewery now. <laughs> and now they only <laughs> brew it. sour beer. But yeah. they brew very very Jolly Pumpkin Brewery out of uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan, I think, or they have more than one. I think it's Traverse City in Ann Arbor. Phenomenal. Well, Sour, strictly. I, uh, so that's, that's what I like about the fermentation is, you know, there's all these people that are like, oh, fermentation, it's good probiotics, it's good bacteria, it's good for your gut and everything. I love the sour, tangy flavor that you get from fermenting something. So I've fermented fruits at home and, you know, just every little, little thing. And it just adds a flavor that you're usually Does it give you're you a not buzz? used to. Like the uh, no. orange juice I had in college, <laughs> it does not. No, oh. that would be food that can get you drunk. That's um, that's the <laughs> best idea I've ever had on this show. I mean, just drink wine, <laughs> or or whiskey, or beer, or something that's designed to get you drunk. <laughs> no, it's I, I 
I, I really love the flavor profiles. And it's stuff that there, there's alcohol content in those sorts of fruits or those sorts of uh, ferments are not, it's not really anything that can get you buzzed. Like, it's something that I'd be fine serving my kids. And it's the rule is the higher in sweetness, the more sugar that yeah. something has, the more alcohol it will produce. Mm-hmm. So when I'm doing a ferment like hot sauce, Yes, there's a little bit of sugar in it, but it's just enough to get it sort of going and not to convert it into alcohol. That's why you don't see jalapeno wine, you know? And the converse is very sweet wine is low in ABV because they um they don't let the yeast get to all the sugars in it. Right. So it only converts so much of that sugar into alcohol instead of all of the yeah, sugar. Yeah, that's, that's the general rule. percent of the sugar. Right. And then there's a thing uh, called like dosage where they'll add sugar to just yep. kill out the yeast. Well, and that's when you're – not that I have ever moonshined, Mr. You know, DEA people who are listening to this show. But when you're moonshining, you um, – the first moonshine that people tell you to do is to do a, a sugar still, which is basically you're taking sugar and you're taking you know sugar that you find in the supermarket and you're adding um, – uh, yeast to it so from that it the, became also from the supermarket. Yeah. And you basically create this white lightning moonshine. You distill that and that's it. And it, basically the yeast is just eating away at the sugar and it's creating this like really horrible grain alcohol that you distill out of it. But you made it at home. I did not make it at home. No, not what, you. Oh, you, yeah. me, you, you, use in general. Yeah. Use listeners. <laughs> <laughs> but yet people need to do more fermented food. Fermented food is just, it's, it's interesting. It's awesome. I mean, what are some fermented foods? Because I guarantee kimchi. Kimchi number one. Kimchi is number one, and you can kimchi anything, right? Like you can kimchi <laughs> Brussels sprouts. You can kimchi like you can kimchi anything. You could kimchi chicken parm. That's <laughs> that's the goal. The goal is chicken parm kimchi. Um, but we at home, I always have a jar going, like bubbling away. It's a cool little science, I've had science your experiment kimchi. too. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's good. Thank you. I was waiting for that. I was. He's like, I've had your kimchi. And then long pause where I'm waiting for him to compliment me on how good it was. Because it's delicious if I do say so myself. If you're interested in fermenting more things, the Noma Guide to Fermentation yes. came out in like December, November of last year. And it's probably the hottest cookbook right now. Um, we'll have a link in the blog post about it. Mike gave me the Noma Guide to Fermentation for Christmas, Christmas this year. And it was, it's awesome. I mean, I use it for inspiration. There's a lot of really great um, recipes in it. The Another book that I just got that I love is called Fiery Ferments. And it's hot sauces and kimchi and chutneys and things like that. Um, and that's, that's another great book. I'll put the link up yeah. as well on that. With the Noma cookbook? Does it walk you through like beginner stuff or does it like absolutely? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it goes and there's lots of photos, right? Yes, there's photos and it goes into the process. And in fact, every book that I've ever read on fermentation goes really deep into the science part of it because they want you to understand that the bacteria that you're introducing is good and how to avoid bad bacteria and how to. How to note, you know, how to identify something that has gone wrong with your ferment so you don't get food poisoning. So. Nice. Anyway, that's fermentation. It's not as scary as it sounds. That's about it. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Mike. That was uh, that was good. I'm glad that people. I want to get more people interested in fermentation. So if you're interested in fermentation, DM us at Not a Foodie Show on Twitter and Instagram. Or if you ferment anything, DM us pics of it. Yeah, I want to see it. That's it. All right, you're listening to the Not a Foodie Show on Radio Rampa, 6:20 a.m. We will be back in a minute.
Are you a bar owner or thinking about becoming one? Whether you need a new cocktail list or an entire staff trade, the experts at Express and Discard can help. Email today for a free consultation. Consult at expressdiscard.com. Everyone deserves an expert in their corner. Hey everyone, it's Tom from the Not A Foodie Show. Are you a small business looking to advertise to a food and restaurant loving audience? The Not A Foodie Radio Show has advertising opportunities available that fit a range of budgets. For a free consultation or for more information, email info at notafoodie.com. That's info at notafoodie.com. We are back with the Not A Foodie Show on Radio Rampa, 620 AM. I'm Tom. It's Mike. And Mike, we've got a studio guest today who's actually not in the studio. We've got a, this a call-in a, a guest. A call-in guest. <laughs> I know, I said studio <laughs> guest because we've never had a call-in guest before. Andrea Strong is on the phone. Andrea, hi, how are you? Hi, I'm great. Thanks for letting me call in on this um, miserable day. It's a gloomy day. So, so yes, no, I know. We, we, don't, we don't control the weather, unfortunately. Um, not yet. Work not, on that. Not yet. Um, so Andrea and I have known each other for a few years. Andrea is uh, a, a food writer and someone mm-hmm. who I love having conversations with about food. And we've uh, <laughs> we've eaten meals together. And um, she's she does some really great stuff. So Andrea, you've written for you, you're currently a freelance writer. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. But you've written for a number uh, of different publications, right? Yeah, I've been writing about food for about 20 years now, and I've written for the New York Times, for the New York Post, for Gourmet when it was around, um, for, any of, for any of your listeners who still remember Gourmet, I love that magazine. Yes. Um, and New York Magazine, I was the founder of The Strong Buzz, which was one of the first food blogs, uh, founded that in 2003, even before Eater. Um, and really built that food blogging space with the Strong Buzz. And then when I had my kids, um, I retired from Strong Buzz blogging because it seemed like someone who was 40 years old shouldn't be blogging anymore (laughs) and returned back to more um, grassroots journalism. And now I cover food and business and law and policy for um, NPR, for Eater, for Skiff Table, which is a B2B uh, website, and uh, and then, you know, on the side, I have two kids, Emily and Sam, um, and that's how Tom and I originally met. Um, yeah. Tom was Emily's Little League coach. <laughs> and um, well, so, can I say, we, uh, sorry yeah. to interrupt, but I was, I was going to say that when, so we met, and then we met each other at a food truck out east. We were just sitting next to each other out on the North Fork, and I said, mm-hmm. hey, didn't I used to coach Emily? And, you know, and we ended up <laughs> having a conversation and I think you guys, you came over to the house or something like that. And after you left, uh, my wife was like, was that, that's, oh, you didn't tell me that was strong buzz. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so, so you're famous around the house among, you know, among old uh, foodies, among old people yeah. who read, <laughs> who read that stuff. Yes. People of a certain age. Yes. And distinction. <laughs> Andrea, how do you feel you would have done if Instagram was a thing in 03? Say that again. I'm sorry. If, if Instagram was around in 03. Do you think you'd still be doing the food blogging and stuff? Because now it's really gone to that media instead of yeah. personal websites? Um, I'm not sure. Um, I mean, I'm not even on Instagram now. That's how old I am. Um, <laughs> stop, but, stop. You know, I, I saw the food blogging thing as actually an extension of journalism. You know, I wanted to, I was a freelance writer and I wanted to get 
more work and sort of show people what I could do. And I was like, well, I could start this thing. There's a this website thing. Maybe I'll do that. And um, and it was really a tool for me to put myself out there in a, in a different light and try and differentiate myself from all the other writers. And then it turned out that people really liked what I was saying and wanted to subscribe and get a newsletter. And it was um, it was all sort of crazy. But yeah, much easier to just snap a picture and write a pithy caption. I think. Yeah, I mean, journalism and or food writing, I should say. I mean, some of it is journalism. Some of it is, is at this yeah, point. Yeah, we could do a whole pictures. show about that. Exactly, <laughs> but it's changed so much over <laughs> Next the years. Time. <laughs> well, yeah. I, so uh, we love to talk about you know food blogging and and all of that, but really one of the reasons that we wanted to have you on the the show was to talk about um, what you're doing right now um, as far as your food advocacy mm-hmm. stuff. Um, so you're... Yeah. Uh, why don't you go ahead and yeah, tell everybody I, um, what you're doing right now? Um, thanks. So um, as I mentioned, I have two kids, Emily and Sam. Uh, Sam is in kindergarten in public school in Brooklyn, and Emily is in fourth grade at that same public school in Brooklyn. And um, when they started school, you know, I, I'm a food writer. I really actually into food and um, and cooking and um, I was curious what was going on in the lunchroom, and um, and so I went into the lunchroom, and I was horrified. Um, it was a lot of uh, carnival food, um, yeah. chicken nuggets, mozzarella sticks. Um, it was chaotic. Uh, there was something that I think is called a salad bar that had, you know, a lot of wilted lettuce on it, and um, there was whole fruit, but the whole fruit was sitting in a bowl, and the only things kids would kids would do with it was like toss it back and forth like a baseball. Yeah. And um, so I started a wellness council at my school, and this is something that actually any parent can do at their school. And it's a, like a PTA committee. We, I got together some teachers, and we brought in um, a different menu that the Office of School Food offers now called rather the Office of Food and Nutrition Services. That's what the official New York City School Food um, Department is called. And um, changed the menu and brought in some programming, some nutrition education, started a garden. and um, Wait, So you were yeah, able I to just do was... that. Sorry to interrupt, but you were just able to do that on a, on a one-school basis? Like you, yes. you can just go in as a committee and, and sort of read Yeah, I mean, the... if you have an active PTA, you can look for grants and you can try and get nutrition education programming. Now PS261 has nutrition programming in every grade. We have a school garden. Uh, we do wow. social and emotional development workshops, but it really does require a very active parent body. And, you know, what what inspired me to become an advocate to ch- try and change school food and the, change the way that um, culinary and nutrition education is taught in schools, which is part of what I, the reason that I'm on this show, is that there's a lot of inequity. You know, uh, a lot of schools that have uh, parents with a lot of spare time Mm-hmm. get better programming. They have a parent who can, who's a, a freelance writer or who's a, you know, a stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home dad who can work with the PTA and, and work with the administration and bring in a better menu and bring in nutrition education and bring in a garden. But what about schools that don't have that kind of parent involvement and what's happening there? And uh, there's a lot of inequity uh, or, in New York City and around uh, food and nutrition, um, certainly that's what what I was finding. And so I started um, a parent advocacy group in October called the New York City Healthy School Food Alliance that is 
open to any parent um, in of a child in public school and any grandparent and anyone who just cares about what our kids are eating. Hmm. And we are advocating around uh, four, four major platforms. So the first one is the food. We, we would like to see the Office of Food and Nutrition Services move away from what I call carnival food, this sort of highly processed um, chicken nugget, mozzarella right. stick, uh, beef patty. <clears throat> yeah. It's amazing. I mean, um, my, my, kids, my kids are good eaters, and they, um, the they one are. thing that they eat is the mozzarella sticks because they, and they know that it's junk food, but I couldn't believe Mm -hmm. that when they came home from school one day and they told me that mozzarella sticks were served for lunch, like that was their school lunch. I said, that's a meal. Yeah. Yeah. Like mozzarella sticks and what? No, just mozzarella sticks. How many, how many mozzarella sticks do you eat for a meal? Like (laughs) eight, 10? Like I, I could eat. There is probably in their defense. I'm going to look at the, I can look up the menu. There would probably be some sort of vegetable also served with that because there are USDA guidelines that the, that the office of food and nutrition services does actually exceed. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, the food has a long way to go. Um, and, and so we are asking for, school food to become more scratch-cooked. And by scratch-cooked, I mean, like, homemade. Stuff that you would find in your grandmother's kitchen or in the kitchen of someone who actually cooks. So that means, um, you know, you could you could talk about spaghetti and meatballs. We could talk about arroz con pollo. We can talk about barbecue chicken sandwiches. We can talk about right. ribs. Anything that is not highly processed. Um, the dangers of highly processed foods have been all over the news um, and in New York City, the obesity rate in kindergartners is one in five kindergartners is, is obese, and the chronic disease related to obesity is also on the rise. So you see, you see children as young as eight years old with type two diabetes oh or on blood pressure lowering medication, and our country is spending two hundred billion dollars a year on health care costs related to obesity and. and chronic disease related to obesity. So the movement is really inspired by our children who are who we believe are in crisis, and, and the Office of School Food is not helping that. If anything, they're feeding that crisis by having a menu of highly processed foods. Yeah. I, now, this is not to say that it's not, quote, nutritious, because the Office of School Food, I'll be very clear, they New York City exceeds the USDA requirements. So every chicken nugget... It's going to have some whole grains in it. It has enough protein, fat, carbs. All of those nutrition standards are met. Yeah, I guess um, I think... That being said, it's it's not enough to just meet or, or the USDA guidelines. We want to see a return to cooking. Would, would you say that those guidelines are very low? Like the, the bar yeah. is very, very low? Oh, yeah. Extremely I, low. Okay. I think that... Um, I, th- I think it's a huge problem uh, that we are so disassociated with what real food is. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're so used to eating processed foods and things like that. We've, we've got to take a break now, but I'd love to talk a little bit more about that and talk about, you know, sort of what your plans sure. are and how people can, can help after we, uh, we come back mm-hmm. from our break. So if you can stay Sounds with good. us for another segment, that'd be great. I'll be here. Cool. All right, you're listening to the Not A Foodie Show on Radio Rampa, 620 AM. We will be back in a minute. Are you a bar owner or thinking about becoming one? 
Whether you need a new cocktail list or an entire staff train, the experts at Express and Discard can help. Email today for a free consultation. Consult at expressdiscard.com. Everyone deserves an expert in their corner. Hey everyone, it's Tom from the Not A Foodie Show. Are you a small business looking to advertise to a food and restaurant loving audience? The Not A Foodie Radio Show has advertising opportunities available that fit a range of budgets. For a free consultation or for more information, email info at notafoodie.com. That's info at notafoodie.com. And we're back. Thanks for tuning in to Radio Rampa, 6.20 a.m. It's the Not A Foodie Show. It's me, it's Tom, and we have a very, very special guest, Andrea Strong, who is schooling me on school lunches. <laughs> Andrea, before we took the break, um, you were going over your four-point plan. I think I cut you off on point one because we were talking about carnival food. It's a big one, though. It is. That's okay. It is. Yeah. So why don't you... Um, Continue down that path and tell us what the the other parts. Yeah, of the plan so are. the first the first one, as you said, is we're moving. We're trying to move towards um, homemade, culturally relevant meals like that reflect the diversity of our city. Um, the second point is that kids need to really understand more about cooking and about nutrition, um, and we want to really bring nutrition education and culinary education back to school. So think your home ec class, but with um, nutrition education attached to that. Because kids, if they, if they are taught, you know, this is an ingredient label. This is what a preservative is. This is a red pepper. This is what it can do for your vision. This is an orange. You right. need vitamin C. What grade, These are whole grains. What grade do you want to start this at? We want to start in kindergarten. That's awesome. There should be culinary and nutrition education, hands-on, from kindergarten up through at least eighth grade, um, if not, you know, further in high school. But because we believe that if you if you show children healthy food, but you don't teach them about what they're putting in their bodies and the importance of making good choices, right. then it's the sound of one hand clapping. You're not going to have kids reach for veggie chili unless they understand why that veggie chili is good for them. Yeah. They, they'll, they'll want to continue to go for that popcorn chicken. So the education piece is really important. No, I, I agree. I think, you know, if left to their own devices, my kids would eat nothing but carbs um, until, you know, until we've had conversations about what a protein is, what a vegetable is, how you need to have mm-hmm. these different, you need to mix it all up. You can, uh, you know, carbs are okay, but you can't just eat French fries for lunch. Um, so, yeah, yes. and and it's um, it's something that once kids wrap their minds around it, that that is like if people say knowledge is power, this is the most significant form of knowledge we can give our kids because we can reeducate an, an entire generation so that we're not ha- we will not have another obese generation. Yeah. Right now, there's a study that that says that our children, this is the first generation of children in this country that will not outlive their parents because mm-hmm. of obesity-related disease it's, and death. Yeah, it's so amazing. It's really critical. We're not allowed to curse on this. Here. <laughs> I just cursed a bunch in my head. That's that's terrifying. It's awful. It's awful. It, there's, it's the New England Journal of Medicine that I think the study came out in. But um, you can also, everyone who's listening can go to nychealthyschoolfoodalliance.com and uh, look at our, um, our website. We have a blog where we post information and different articles and um, information about our meetings, you can become more involved there, but, um, and all the articles about 
how food is, is highly processed foods are hurting us are also on that site. Um, and you. so nutrition... We'll, we'll post a link in our blog post for oh, you great. as well. Oh, great. Thank you. Thank you. So nutrition education, culinary education is really important. We also believe that schools should have gardens. So that's the third yes. ask is yes. that we... Um, <clears throat> that every school be given enough money so that they can either have a grow tower or hydroponic or a raised bed, and kids can go out into the garden. They can learn math there. How many seeds do you need to make 47 zucchinis? You know, you can teach social studies. What are the sister crops? You can teach common core subjects in that garden, and there are curriculum that support this. And we believe that the DOE should expand the way that they're teaching our children to include gardening and growing food, it, it creates a really amazing connection between the child and the land, and it also increases their fruit and vegetable consumption. Kids who garden want to eat the food that they've grown. And the last ask is that we want children to have more time to eat their lunch. That chaotic, shovel it in, get out the door, why, why aren't you eating, stop talking, what are you doing, get, clean up, get out. It's so chaotic. It really is. And lunch, I don't know that a lot of people, sorry to interrupt, but I don't, I don't know that a yeah. lot of people understand How long is a school in lunch? New York City. It, I mean, it's, it's quick. It's and about by, 20 minutes. Yeah, it, yeah. I think it's the, the, the period, the total period for lunch can be anywhere from between 30, 30 minutes and 20 minutes. But studies show that kids need at least 20 minutes of seated lunch. That means excluding the time for packing up, waiting in line for, for the food if you're getting hot lunch, socializing, cleaning up, all of that. So they really need the time to sit down, to socialize. They need to talk to their friends. They're being yelled at all day long. Don't talk, don't talk, listen, learn. They need that time. And they, they could also, how about everyone gather hands before we start and say thank you for this food? And create a ritual of gratitude and socialization and etiquette and kindness around lunch. If we have a little more time, we can change the dynamic that's happening at the table. And then, yeah. then kids could go home and say, Mom and Dad, why don't, we, why don't we all have dinner together? And a family meal could, could come from that. I think if we, change, if we teach our children well, isn't that a song? <laughs> we can actually change the world. Well, and I think the irony of the whole eating lunch and lunchtime um, is that the kids that need it the most are the younger kids, right? The kids that need more time are the younger kids. And they're the ones who yes. are, the food is shoved down their throat because it takes them long. They, you know, understandably, it takes them longer to get yeah, down the Yeah, they can't and open the milk. Exactly. They, you know. And by the time they're ready to sit down and eat, there's five minutes left in the period and they just have to shove everything mm -hmm. down their throat. And there's that's not a healthy relationship to have with food. And yeah, and they really don't get enough nutrients um, there that... It, the studies also show, sorry, I'm talking about studies all the time, but studies also show that if children aren't given enough time to eat lunch, then there's a lot, that leads to a ton of snacking and also obesity. So, um, you know, it's a little more time for, for lunch can go a long way. Um, and we're, you know, we are uh, at City Hall regularly. We're talking to council members, council member Helen Rosenthal, Mark Traeger, um, Lori Cumbo, uh, they're all really supportive of our work. Borough President Adams is our partner. He is the one who has given me um, basically whatever, whatever I need, if I need a conference room, if I need copies made, if I need... Um, he sits with me once every other month and helps me strategize. He's a huge supporter of our work. Um, he's someone who cured his own type 2 diabetes through diet. Oh, wow. And, wow. Um, 
you know, the, the mission of the organization is to, it's not a quick mission. This is not something that's going to be mission accomplished next week. This is probably a 10, a 10 year fight. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's, so, it's something that's so systemically just ingrained, um, the way that we're currently, yeah. that it's happening right now in school. It's going to take, take a long time, but it you're, is, you're doing it. It's going to take a long time, but we have to start somewhere. Yes. And I think, um, the more parents that we have involved, the better we want, um, you know, white parents, brown parents, black parents. We want everyone involved in this movement. Uh, we wanted to speak to the diversity of our city and to the needs of all children. So I encourage everyone who's listening to um, to check out the website. We're also, we also have a Facebook group, naturally, um, and a Twitter feed. Um, so how do, how do so people get in touch with you? How do people involved. sign up? Get, let's, let's plug all um, of these. How, what, what, so the Facebook these. group? Well, we have, we have a Facebook group. is NYC Healthy School Food Alliance. It's a um, on Facebook, we have a website, nychealthyschoolfood.com, where um, our Twitter is at nycschoolfood. And we have a, um, a parent welcome event on March 2nd, Saturday, March 2nd, from 5 to 7 p.m. at the Dynamite Shop, which is an amazing tween and teen cooking school and after-school program and camp in uh, Windsor Terrace in Brooklyn. That's on 7th Avenue and Windsor, and that's from 5 to 7 on Saturday, March 2nd, and it's free. There'll be beer and wine and veggie chili, and BP Adams will be there. I'll be there, and we'd love to have have some of your listeners join us. That'd be great. Yeah, so everybody needs to go check that out. It's Saturday, March 2nd. And uh, Andrea, I, this is this has been great. Thank it's you. Been, it's been eye opening. Thank you guys um, for having me. Oh, I really is, appreciate yeah. it. No, oh, I'm sorry that you couldn't make it into the studio live today, but you know, next time you'll come in me and we'll too. talk more. <laughs> Absolutely, sounds right. great. Thanks right. so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks, yeah. Andrea. This is great, Andrea. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're listening Thank to the you. Not a Foodie Show on Radio Rampa, six twenty a.m. We will be back in a minute. If you are listening to this broadcast, chances are you've toyed around with the idea of launching your own creative recording project or podcast. If so, BK Media Center is the perfect media facility for your needs. Whether you're a group of friends looking for a soundproof facility to record a podcast or a more dynamic project with live streaming up to nine cameras, the staff at BK Media Center can cater to your needs and more importantly, to your budget, also providing flexible studio schedule. Visit the website at bkmediacenter.com or call 917-300-9123 to set up a studio tour. Are you a bar owner or thinking about becoming one? Whether you need a new cocktail list or an entire staff train, the experts at Express and Discard can help. Email today for a free consultation. Consult at expressdiscard.com. Everyone deserves an expert in their corner. And we are back with the Not A Foodie Show on Radio Rampa, 6.20 a.m. Saturday afternoon. We're winding down our long day of radio show, and we are going to have a drink. Mike? Yeah. What are you going to drink? What are you going to drink? A last word cocktail. What? I I guess the last word. The last word. I think I've seen that on menus, but I don't know exactly what it is. I feel like you might have had one in your life um it's <laughs> odds a, are yes yeah it's an aviation play uh-huh. it's a gin maraschino liqueur which is like uh luxardo, luxardo. Yep. yep green chartreuse and fresh lime juice 
So it's hmm. a little complex, nice acidity, really Citrusy. nice sipping. Yeah, you uh, you shake it and strain it, serve it up. Really, really nice sipping cocktail. Um, the chartreuse, you know, chartreuse can really overpower a drink, but between the acid of lime juice and the everything else, it goes really, really well together. So I'm I'm going the opposite. You, I think, are that sounds like a very light, summery sort of cocktail. Um, do you think so? No, no because the chartreuse. Gives it a little bit. Yeah. If, if the chartreuse wasn't in there, yeah. But the chartreuse gives it a little bit more body and oomph. And what's the main spirit? It's a, it, it's all equal parts. It's equal it's parts of everything. Three quarters of an ounce gin, maraschino, chartreuse, and lime. I just usually have this um this rule that I follow where I don't wear white after Labor Day and I don't drink gin during the winter time. You also, once you have an iced <laughs> coffee, you don't go back. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Once I have an iced coffee during the summer, I'm, so I'm committed to it. So just because you're kind of neurotic. Yes. Has no reflection on <laughs> me or the drinks that I want. No, I and, and I do have exceptions to these rules. Rules are made to be broken. I will wear white after Labor Day if I'm invited to Puffy's um white party out in the Hamptons, I guess. Um, and I will drink gin during the wintertime if it's just in a martini before a steak dinner. And that's about it. So I'm not a, uh, I'm not a gin cocktail guy during the, during the wintertime. I like to just heat gin up and just drink hot gin. You know, that's like, <laughs> my, my wife would say, like, like a bum. Like, whenever you see someone just drinking warm gin... gin it's just you're a bum. <laughs> a like gin, a, not ginseng tea. Just no, gin, gin tea. tea you yeah. might as well put it in a brown paper bag, and that's that's it. That's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of hot drinks, I think my drink for the uh, for tonight because it's it's cold, it's winter, it's still winter out there, and it's gray and gross. I'm I'm gonna have a hot toddy, and I you I mean I hot toddy is this general umbrella term for you know hot alcoholic drinks I like to have a hot toddy with bourbon um I think the the quintessential ingredients are bourbon hot honey water. lemon hot water That's and whatever it. spices you want to put into it Yeah and then what people do is they'll take the orange peel or the lemon peel or whatever and then they'll put little pieces of clove in it Yep and I don't like how that looks Why it, it looks like it's like growing something I don't know I I like that. I think that that's like one of my favorite things. Like you have these, you have this great um, cocktail that you're drinking that's hot and awesome. And then every time you take a sip, uh, the peel floats to the top and has all of the aromatics in it. So I'm not saying I don't like enjoy what it does. It. I'm just saying from a visual perspective, it looks like the fruit is growing something that should be growing. <laughs> and I don't like that. But the hot toddies are awesome. I'm not anti-hot toddy. I'm just talking about putting the cloves inside of the orange peel or lemon peel and putting it on there. I don't like how it looks. Wow. What about um like a studded ham that has cloves in the ham? Have you ever? You, no, I've you, never seen it. You've never seen a ham no. that has cloves, cloves in it? No. Wow. A honey-baked ham? Yeah, no? I've never seen it with cloves. I had a guy order Bloody Mary without a celery, and I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> What, do you think it was because he was he visually just, upset? I, with, no, well, he's like, it he just, had anxiety it ruins a Bloody celery. Mary. I was like, I was what? laughing. I was like, he's like, do you put blood? He's like, you garnish it with celery? I was like, yeah. He's like, no, not for me. I was like, okay. So I read his order back. I was like, one Bloody Mary, no celery. 
And well, then I-, <laughs> I think so. What I love about celery in a Bloody Mary is that celery doesn't add much to the flavor of the Bloody Mary, but the Bloody Mary flavors that yeah, celery. No, he's wrong. Yeah, he's absolutely yeah, wrong. But whatever. I mean, the customer is always right, except in that case where he was dead wrong. I also had a lady order uh, a salad without to- any tomatoes and then order a Bloody Mary, and it really just bothered me. <laughs> well, I think those are those are our drinks for the evening. I think it's about time for, in our show to. Uh, to start saying goodbye to people. Thank you. See you next week. <laughs> You're listening to the Not a Foodie Show. You were listening to the Not a Foodie Show. At uh, the Not a Foodie Show. At the Not a Foodie Show. On Instagram, on Twitter, by Carrier Pigeon, however you want to get in touch with us, at Not a Foodie Show. This is Radio Rampa, 620 AM. We are Mike and Tom, and we will see you next week. <laughs>